Welcome to the Biopractica Professional Podcast Series. Biopractica is an Australian-owned, practitioner-only brand focusing on nutritional and herbal products proven to play a role in preventative medicine. Biopractica is committed to supporting healthcare professionals in developing their knowledge and skills so they can confidently and effectively tackle the major health challenges facing their patients today. To support this commitment, the Learning Hub was established by Biopractica to offer practitioners a collection of educational resources so they can stay informed on the latest in health science research. Well, welcome everyone to another Biopractica podcast. And today, myself and my wonderful host, Claire Murray, will be talking about food intolerance testing. And I guess we're not sort of just looking at the different food intolerance testing that's out there. We're going to chat a bit about that, but we want to talk about why and how it is relevant in clinic. So are you ready for our chat, Claire? I am. Hello, Paul. How are you today? I am very well. I am uh, a little excited about this chat because, uh, you know, you and I have sort of spoken of this at various times over the past year or two, you know, when we're talking about patients and what we're going to do with someone and what sorts of symptoms they have. Um, and, you know, and that very often some of the symptoms we see in patients do look like it's a food intolerance. And you mm. mentioned when we were sort of having one of these general chats that we're lucky enough to have, that sometimes people say when they come see you, they want food intolerance testing. Mm. Yes, that is a thing, isn't it? Yeah, but but when we spoke, you didn't seem enamored with it. It's not like, oh, great, yeah, come on, let's get your food intolerance tested and let's we're going to sort all your problems. So, mm. you know, I, and, and I think a lot of the prackies listening would probably also have a really similar experience, you know. So, mm. so you were sort of talking about that, and that people might come in and say, oh, I need, I need to be tested for these foods. So, you know. Mm. Talk to me a bit more about that. You know, when do you see it? You know, because I know when I see it, as I said, they come in and go, I want to be tested for foods. Yeah, it's kind of made its way, I feel like, into the psyche of the general population a bit, mm. hasn't it? Or at least the, the population that's interested in seeing a naturopath or yes. someone similar yes. that, you know, their partner got it or their friend got it or the person mm. at work got it. And they're like, oh, my gosh, you've got to go and do it. So they're like, Paul, I've got to do my food intolerance testing. I've got, mm-hmm. I've got to figure it out. And. Yeah, I feel like once you start talking about this, it just opens the door to this much bigger conversation around is that even applicable for them to do, you know, what is the health of this person's gut and nervous system and microbiome and immune system? Like what what is the system that these foods are going into? Like I think we're going to probably, you know, say a version of that phrase again and again in this podcast that um, it, it's almost like they can – they can be feeling not well in their body. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. have some kind of symptoms. And so they think in their brain, the answer is I have to go and do food intolerance testing. And that's what mm-hmm. they'll go and request. I think it's then up to us, of course, right, that we're taking that case and we're looking at that request in the context of this patient and going, mm, is that even what needs to be happening? Because you know, if we look at even the um, 101s of something like our IgG, IgA, food intolerance testing that we as naturopaths will commonly do, it's normally taking some kind of blood sample, whether that's like mm-hmm. an in-clinic kit or you're doing like one of those little blood spot um, uh, samples that then get sent off, mm-hmm. you know, to be analysed. And what that test is basically doing is measuring 
the um, IgG response or the amount of IgG immunoglobulins produced in response to that food. Mm-hmm. Now, I then think, you know, unpacking this science, we then go, what does that actually mean? Because mm. our immune system, as we know by the gut, is sampling every single thing that goes into our body, into our digestive mm. system, and it's sampling and going, are you friend or foe? Do I want you here? Do I not want you here? Mm-hmm. And um, it requires an immune response to do that. The immune system has to go and meet that food and be like, hi, who are you? And mm-hmm. Do I like you or not? And so what an IgG, IgA test is actually what some research says it's actually measuring is that immune system's response, like that curiosity of it going up to that food right. and going, oh, hi, oh, yeah, that's right, your XYZ food, I'm all good. So some people actually refer to it as a physiological response to food. Right. And if you right. have ever seen a food intolerance panel that's looking at Mm -hmm. these immunoglobulins. There's a a level of response for every single food, but Mm -hmm. we have Mm -hmm. then made, um, we have then extrapolated that out to say if there is a bigger response than it is pathology and it is Mm -hmm. an intolerance. So whether, yeah. What we might be assuming, so there's an assumption that, if there's a response to that, that there's, we'll say, some kind of intolerance. However, it might actually just mean that your immune system is really good at sampling different things to yep. actually check. Well, that, mm. that's, that's a very big difference between this is actually it is. what I'm reacting to. Yeah, and so there's I, some evidence that actually suggests that, um, you know, doing a, this kind of profile in a child or an infancy mm-hmm. or, or data research has shown that um, the bigger the IgG response, especially IG, um, IgG4 is a really mm-hmm. key one that gets tested a lot, um, mm-hmm. having a bigger response to foods in infancy or childhood actually equates to higher tolerance of foods when you are older, wow. when you're an adult. So I think right. this, you know, um, which is why we wanted to do a bit of a deeper dive on this food intolerance specifically. Um mm. Because there's lots of different ways that you can test foods and reactivity, mm-hmm. and um, but actually looking at this IgG IgA thing and going, okay, someone's coming in and they're being like, I've got to do my food intolerance testing. It's been like, hang on, yep. is this even something that a I need to do, mm-hmm. or b will give me the information that mm-hmm. I need or that mm-hmm. the patient wants? Because what they're mm-hmm. really telling you is, I'm not feeling well and I want to feel better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't want to find it- out why I'm not well. I was going to say, it's so interesting you say that. I remember a patient who was, um, you know, having these really nasty skin flares. I mean, really nasty skin flares. And one of the worst things for her was it was around her eyes. And so it was so visual. And, you know, a lot of people feel very self-conscious if, you know, you get a skin flare. You know, it's like when you get a pimple on your nose. It's like everyone can Mm. see this. And she found this because her eyes would get incredibly red, Uh, not just the eyes, all the skin around the eyes. Uh, Paid, you know, around $600 for a series of tests. And by the way, she said there are some foods that make it better, some foods that, you know, uh, sorry, not make it better. There are foods that make it worse. Can't work mm. out what they are. I went, right, I've done this panel, you know, 600 bucks. Came back with pretty much her reacting to nothing. But obviously <laughs> she was reacting to something. But I guess the point that I'm trying to make here is that's where someone goes and has a intolerance test, 
But what is happening is they are having a pro-inflammatory response to things. But a pro-inflammatory response is not always a food intolerance. Yeah, it's not always IgG that's the culprit. So, mm. yeah, they could be reacting to something. But mm-hmm. the IgG or, you know, whatever test was done by um, that patient, it wasn't actually the test to pick it up. And, we, you know, patients don't have unlimited funds. You can't just no. go from test to test to test, right? And even no. doctors, that's the landscape they're in. I'm like, I have to be highly specific in this day and mm-hmm. age about what tests I can order. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think I'm probably more in the camp of – not being someone who does a food intolerance test right off the bat, I'm mm-hmm. more likely to be like, I know that this is something that you really want, but I'm going to try and spend this time educating you and informing you, taking your case, trying to put this into mm-hmm. context and then going, mm-hmm. let's put some money into trying some things, um, starting mm-hmm. to heal the gut, etc. We can kind of get into all of that. And then, and then if we're not getting the results, maybe we can look at it or, um, just trying to really understand what is the best mm-hmm. test? What is the test that we need to do here if mm-hmm. we do need to do it? Yeah. So so let's go, going along with that, let's assume you give someone something to help reduce some inflammation to heal the gut. You know, there might be some aloe in there, some PHGG in there. There might be, you know, if, um, a few other things to sort of help with that gut healing. Mm-hmm. And you do that and someone – you know, do, do you expect that if it's a leaky gut sort of problem that what appears to be food intolerances will disappear in four weeks? Yeah, no. <laughs> Probably not, hey. Because what we're actually trying to do, I think the deeper thing that we're trying to achieve here for our patients is developing immune tolerance or body mm-hmm. tolerance to that food. Mm-hmm. It's not always going to happen, is it? Some people just need there are foods that are not good for them and are very sure. inflammatory or whatever, and they just need to, you know, workshop that and move on. Um, but we want to try and build up immune tolerance and body tolerance to these foods mm-hmm. rather than just continually taking foods out mm-hmm. because, you know, if we take out these three foods, what's not to say that the immune system, you know, in three, six, 12 months' time isn't going to just start or next week, you know, mm-hmm. start reacting to three other different foods so Mm, mm. it's gray it's tricky it's nuanced um but i think gut healing takes time depending on the severity of it so we do have to be figuring out a way to be getting them some symptomatic relief that's obviously so important Um, yeah because patients aren't patient no (laughs) (laughs) no they're not yeah and so i think it this inevitably always brings us around as well to this conversation around, you know, elimination diets are still the gold standard, aren't they? Mm. We're still, Mm. the answer to a food intolerance test is that you remove those foods from the diet and you do an elimination diet to see if it helps. So, you know, there's still, um, if this person is eating inflammatory foods, you know, part of that symptomatic relief might be before you do any testing to just take some key offenders out and see if it Mm -hmm. helps and is reducing that kind of inflammatory burden on the body. Um, so, so do you use some gut healing in clinic? You personally, do would you say, okay, I'm going to put you on an elimination diet and I'm going to do some gut healing? And if you do that, is that would that give you a different test result later because you've done some gut healing? Yes, I mean, the, I of course I would do gut healing. Yes, I think the nervous system is a really key thing um, mm. for everything. I think the degree mm-hmm. that we can enter rest and digest 
and to enter into that parasympathetic parasympathetic state basically dictates what level of healing is available to the body on every level. Like if this person right. is stressed and their gut yeah. cannot be in a state where it can try and repair itself, mm-hmm. it cannot repair itself. So, you know, mm-hmm. we need to go down that road. Um, mm-hmm. But then, yeah. Doing oh, that, so, um, sorry, Claire, you make a really good point there because that person who spent all that money on those tests was chronically stressed. And yeah. I mean chronic, like I'm, I'm not going to go into that patient's background, but, you know, in nutshell, single mum, financially stressed, working all the time and trying to be both parents to kids in their early teens. So, you know, I think we mm. can understand a, a lot of stress there and mm. that, Yes, I think in the end she would have been better off, I don't know, somehow spending that 600 bucks she spent on the test on something for her nervous system. And mm-hmm. I think we forget exactly what you've said, that, you know, making sure there is that rest and digest, that is that there's the switching between sympathetic and parasympathetic, that if that's not working right, that can give us all of the symptoms of a food intolerance. Yeah, sure, just can't. And, you know, like... Going back to, yeah, this question that you've posed, like if we were to do that, all of that work and and give the body a chance, the body moves slower than the mind and what our quick Mm. human minds want it to. This is the journey I think, you know, the deeper one we need to be trying to go on with our patients of give your body time, put your Mm. body in a space where it can heal, put your immune system in a state in an environment where it can calm down and not being stop being so reactive and pro-inflammatory for foods. I really mm. truly do think that if we were to do that work and and repeat a food intolerance test, the answer would be different. And whether that right. would just mean, oh, you know, now the body's over here reacting to these foods, or that the general reactivity has decreased overall. Like it's to me, doing like an IgG or IgA, it does feel like a bit of a snapshot in time of mm. this is what my immune system is you know, reacting to today, it might not be the same. Well, and and I think that's so important because I'm pretty sure most practitioners have come across these patients who will say, I had a food intolerance test done eight years ago and ever Mm. since I've avoided this, 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 and I'm here to see you because now my symptoms have come back, but I'm still avoiding ABC or X, Y, Z. Yeah, now I'm eating 12 foods. Yes, we've all seen that person. I heard about that person, haven't we? And it breaks my heart a little bit because it's like, Mm. yeah, that's the question where it's more about what's the environment that this food is going Mm. into and are we trying to then do that healing that results in immune tolerance and a gut Mm. that can take on food calmly and digest Mm. it um, Mm -hmm. instead of just being like, okay, we'll take all these foods out. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, you know, you know and, and in having this chat with you, you know, it's making me reflect on some of those patients. And I'll be honest with you, Claire, for me, almost every single one of those patients have been what you would call total stress heads. Like, yeah. like if, if you had to characterize them, they were people who were, um, you know, they, they may have had underlying anxiety, whatever, but, you know, stress characterized a lot mm. of their life. Um, mm. And as I said, they are the ones where it's like, yeah, as I said, they'll 
I think they're looking for an answer, which isn't address the stress in your life because addressing the stress in your life isn't easy. If you hate the no. person that you wake up next to every morning, if you hate the job you go to seven days a week, that's hard mm. to deal with. To simply mm. stop eating bananas and go gluten-free is actually easier yeah, than, I can do than that. dealing yeah. <laughs> with, with some of these other things. Yeah, and I think – I think this is what I'm really, really lights me up in terms of, you know, if our profession, it's obviously staying within our scope and everything, but it's like, it's, it's even opening this door or planting the seed about maybe your body is speaking to you and saying that the way that I'm living Mm. is not in harmony or is not, does not make healing available in this current Mm -hmm. time. So what can we do? What's just a little step that we can start doing towards that and that it's maybe Mm -hmm. implementing like a a lifestyle or stress management technique is actually Mm -hmm. the money that we need to spend to get you to stop reacting to foods. And that is Mm -hmm. like, we get that because we understand even the biochemistry behind, you know, the nervous system and the gut. But that is like mind blowing to some people. And Mm -hmm. especially the person who's like, my life's busy. I'm really stressed. Can you just do the test so I can tell me, you know, tell me the 10 foods that I need to get off and I'm just going to get on my way. It's like, oh, maybe for some people that's where they're at and that's, that's all they can do. And we can, you know, Mm -hmm. do the gut healing and everything in and around it and help them. Um, Mm -hmm. But for some people, like, I think we get this opportunity to have this bigger conversation and that, Mm -hmm. that feels really, um, that was really exciting to me. Mm-hmm. I think that's worthwhile and useful. <laughs> Look, and and I think it's it is the difference. You know, a lot of people say, "What's the difference between naturopathy and you know allopathy as such?" It's like, oh well, naturopaths use herbs, they use diet, they use lifestyle. But I think it is also to say that you know there you know explain to people that stress might be impacting their gut that sure, some foods might be impacting their gut. And, you you know, is to really empower people and to educate people as to things that are actually happening. Because the assumption, as I said, you know, if we use this example of people who come and say, oh, look, I need a food uh, test because I'm obviously reacting to something, you know, is to have that conversation with them, is Mm -hmm. to say that, this seems like it's, it's an extreme food reaction, but we can't success. We, we're not likely going to be able to successfully check for that until we've made some of these other changes. Mm. You know, mm. And, and uh, I think uh, uh, like uh, slightly on a bit of a tangent, but related to this conversation mm. then is that, you know, if we're, if we've got the patient who's like, I want to do the food intolerance testing or, you know, maybe that's how we did it, you know, previously in clinic, we also have so Mm -hmm. much more information these days that in our brain, you know, we're taking this person's Mm -hmm. case and we're going, I don't actually think it's, you know, an IgG Mm -hmm. mediated delayed hypersensitivity at all. I think Mm -hmm. there's something Mm -hmm. else going on. So I know we were kind of brainstorming on those as well. Like what, what do you think could be some of the other things that are actually going on that we need to be testing or Mm -hmm. looking into that instead of this? Yeah, look, so, so one of the key things I would have to say for me is that really general reactivity. So there's noted reactivity. There'll often be, you know, their nose starts running, they get a skin rash. You know, your classicals really have to say histamine-type signs. Mm. And, and I, one of the things that characterizes the histamine-type uh, thing for me is because, remember, when people look at food intolerance, everyone thinks there's a food 
or there's three foods and they think that's the beginning, middle and end. But histamine is defined or, you know, we, we know it is just a lot of general symptoms. They are immune sy- symptoms because that's, you know, we know histamine plays part of the immune response. Um, and that what we're actually seeing there is that, yeah, there'll be vague symptoms. There'll be sometimes they'll say, oh, well, I ate this today and it didn't bother me. I ate that three days later. It did bother me. The question, of course, is were you eating something, the same food, but it was leftovers? Because we know when things have been sitting in the fridge, for example, there's going to be some bacteria mm-hmm. affecting them. Um, and we're going to get some level of different biogenic amine created because food is older, mm-hmm. it is aged. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and they go, sometimes I'll eat cheese and it affects me, sometimes it doesn't. Well, you know, people think of cheese as cheese. They don't go, is there aged cheese? Is there, mm. you know, fresh cheese? You know, all these different sorts of things. So very often mm. one of the things I do absolutely look at and always consider is, is this a histamine excess? And and we've been seeing a lot of histamine excess. And if I do see histamine excess, I have to ask myself, does this person methylate well? Are there other mm. clinical signs that tell me they're a poor methylator? Because it tends to be the poor methylators that will uh, have trouble breaking down the excess histamine. So we see more sort of signs of that. But one mm. thing I will say I do, and it's not a test, but I will use um, things such as modified activated natural clinoptilolite. I get it in sachets. And clinoptilolite has a great ability to bind up to uh, especially, you know, a, a lot of histamine. And we will find excess histamine in these cases in the gut and the digestive mm. tract. It will bind up to histamine that's been recirculated. Um, and so I'll get them to have a sachet of um, the clinoptilolite in the morning and one every night for three days. Now, that can bind up a huge amount of histamine. And after three days of that, if it's histamine-driven, they will notice an improvement. Now, the Mm. problem is, of course, the clinoptilolite doesn't fix why they have high histamine. I mean, Mm. it's great. One of the other reasons I like it is it tells me, gives me some idea of what's going on, but can give rapid symptom relief. But mm-hmm. I have to explain to my patients, this is nice, but this isn't actually fixing your problem. But now we've got some idea of what we need to pursue. So that's probably one yes. the, the the next biggest thing I'll say that I look at mm-hmm. and aim to treat or deal with when I'm looking at some of these things. So, mm-hmm. And know. then I think, you know, we've kind of got, uh, it can be a bit related to that as well. Like we've been bringing in more of our FODMAP, SIBO, picture. Mm. Um, you know, that's another big element as well. But can also be, again, a little bit of a heartbreaking one if you do get a patient that comes in and says, my practitioner or my doctor told me to go off FODMAPs, you know, three years ago. Mm. And it's the only thing mm. that fixes my symptoms and I've been doing it ever since. It's like yeah. we're not fixing the problem. Um, no. If if the only way that you can exist in the world eating food is if you mm-hmm. just avoid FODMAPs and, you know, and the knock-on effects that that then starts to have of if we're not feeding that microbiome, which plays such a role mm-hmm. in, you know, keeping the gut healthy and keeping the immune system healthy. Like it's just this, it's a bit of a downward spiral at that point, isn't it? Well, well I was going to say it, it's the solution which gives with one hand and takes with the other because, yeah. um, you know, uh, I was traveling with Professor uh, Francavella, gastroenterologist from Italy, and um, he was saying, look, the FODMAPs diet is good and it gives you good information. It does play a role. But his view was, you know, two, three weeks, absolute tops, because otherwise the negative impacts on your other 
microbes, uh, your beneficial, you know, uh, commensal bacteria is absolutely huge. And so while it may prevent symptoms, if you are damaging your overall microbial balance and affecting mm. your commensal uh, profile, as I said, it, it gives with one hand, but it takes with the other. Mm. And then once mm. you eventually, I'll say, deal with the SIBO that's probably causing, uh, you know, the mm. reactivity to FODMAPs, you've now got a microbiota that you need to start to try and rebalance again. And so mm. I, I think it's really both frustrating, but damaging. But once again, you know, when we do see those patients and if I look at, because I've been in practice for 30 years this year, the patients who will find a diet like FODMAPs and go, I've got to stick on it, and they really stick on it rigorously, tend to be those who are affected by stress. They, they are, mm. I'll call them the stress heads inherently mm. I've noticed, you know, a greater eight, you know, the 80 20 rule, 80% of mm -hmm. them are total stress heads. And of course, we know that when you're chronically stressed, you're more likely to get changes in your gut microbial profile. To be honest, you know, ongoing stress for me is one of the key things I look for if I'm looking for SIBO. So yeah, and it affects that enteric nervous system. Like it's not able to right. have that, you know, MMC, that sweeping cleaning wave. Like it's so much about that nervous innovation mm. to that small intestine of like well why has that bacteria been allowed to colonize there and hang and loiter around it's like we need rest and digest we need parasympathetic mm -hmm. nervous innovation down in that gastrointestinal tract like you know i think um yeah i mean you know you start zooming out it's like oh yeah we, we we're putting this in with why does so many people in our modern world have chronic illnesses and it's coming down mm. to these these big key concepts and i think food intolerance is mm are very much a part of that and very much a part of that. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, is it a specific condition? Like there is a, an IgE, sure, you know, that's mm -hmm. normally kind of medically managed and we can help to support that. Is it a really mm -hmm. a true delayed hypersensitivity uh, reaction by the immune system? Is it histamine, mm. salicylates? Is it SIBO? Mm. Um, or is it even just that this person has a level of leaky gut you know, intestinal hypermobility, yeah. it's inflamed, there's dysbiosis, you know, this gut is um, taking in these foods and the bugs are metabolizing it into all these unhappy metabolites or gases and then the person's like, mm -hmm. oh, gosh, IBS and it must be food and it's like, oh, well, yep. maybe it is food now and maybe we do have to take some things out. But sure. I think we need to be trying to get the point across to our patients that if we're doing that, the plan is to bring mm -hmm. it back in. This is not a permanent thing. This yeah. is not a permanent thing. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's not going to fit for everyone, but you mm -hmm. know, um, for some people, for a lot of people, that's what I think we want to be trying to work towards because we're doing that background healing. Sure. So, so do you think it's once again a great example of that eighty twenty rule, which is you get a hundred people who come in and say I'm reacting to foods, but probably eighty percent of them have a disorganized gut have an imbalance in sympathetic parasympathetic sympathetic sorry nervous system and only 20% probably have that real immune intolerance now mm. i i'm not asking you to provide me with data claire i'm just saying yeah. from your experience yeah. you know is is do you think that Yes, I think that maybe even higher than 80. I mean, you know, right. I'm very I really love looking at this aspect of the nervous system and bringing that in and I think 
you know, if someone really does have very immune-driven things, our immune system does mm-hmm. not exist in isolation either, does it? It's no. constantly interfacing with our gut, which is very informed yep. by our nervous system. So it's like, you know, everyone could benefit from it. But, yes, I think you're so right. It's these it's these bigger factors driving a lot of people's reactivity to food mm-hmm. rather than the pointy end, which is, you know, the immune system. Um, yep. It is for some people, which you say, but I do think that group is in the minority. I would agree. Mm. Mm. Look, you know, t- today we're sort of talking about food intolerance testing and, you know, so far in our conversation we've talked about all the other things that, <laughs> you know, that we, we have spoken obviously that, you know, a little bit about some of that food testing that people look for and want. We've spoken about, and I think it's really important we've had this discussion, we've sort of covered why sometimes you'll get tests and people either don't get a response or what I find really interesting, I'm pretty sure you would have seen it in clinic too, is sometimes it's like it says to avoid these five foods. They avoid those five foods, but their problems really don't get better. Mm. You, you, you know. Um, totally. Do, do you think there's actually a way to sort of be able to look at a patient that walks in the door and say, you, you're definitely a candidate for food intolerance testing. Well, let's do an IgG panel. Or is it really a suck it and see approach from where you stand? Just go try it. Mm, Interesting question, isn't it? Maybe if that person has already done a lot of work um, Mm -hmm. healing their gut and working on their nervous system and they still have an issue because that's where I feel like I'd personally be doing it. You know, if if I've been working with a patient for a period of time and I know that healing has taken place in that person's gut, microbiome and nervous system and there has been some changes to that person's lifestyle and then they're like, oh, I'm still getting these miscellaneous reactions. Mm. Um, You know, maybe you could then start to be looking at some kind of testing, you know, which other one you love Mm -hmm. to do, whether it's IgG or something else um, Mm -hmm. at that point to be like, okay, is this just a real random outlier food here that, you know, is it one of those key things that I might do an elimination diet with just to be like, okay, maybe if we took out those two things for a period of time, it might Mm -hmm. just reduce that inflammatory load in the body and things can just calm Mm -hmm. down a bit. Um, Mm -hmm. That's where I'd be thinking. What about you? Yeah. Look, I'm I'm always looking for, uh, well, you know, for the past few years, I've been really quite focused on what's their overall inflammatory load, you know, so where are they at with inflammation? And, you know, I I think we're all aware that, you know, um, we know that things like, um, you know, unfortunately, age is going to add to people's overall likely, likely inflammatory load. Mm. I sort of Mm -hmm. look at that and very often we'll use a bit of an analogy for people that, look, it's a bit like there is a fire here. There's so much smoke we can't actually see what's causing it. We know there's a problem here, but until Mm. we sort of clear some of this smoke, um, we're not always going to be able to work out exactly what foods and I use, you know, I've seen some uh, food tests come back where people seem to react to almost everything. Uh, yeah. Once again, though, you, you you did speak of that, you know, is it actually just physiological response of its ability to bind to these different substances? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and to be honest, when you get test results like that, they don't tell you anything. You know, a test that says, yeah. no, this person reacts to everything. I'm not sure if it tells you actually, anything specific. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's a bit disheartening as well for the patient, I mm. think. They're like, okay, mm. so where does that leave me? Where does that leave me? That's right. It's like when you get the test mm. which shows you react to nothing or you, or they react to one thing that is very bizarre and they might have once mm. a year. 
but their symptoms yes. are there <laughs> 350 days yeah. a year. You know, yes, yeah, that really shows us where you've got to go, doesn't it? Yeah. It, it, it does. It does. So, um, you know, and, and I think one of my experiences, of course, is that not everyone in you alluded to it as well can't, you know, you can't just keep testing. Everyone has usually some financial limit. And sometimes I think you've got to take a test result as a negative going, you know what, we can pretty much rule that out. Mm-hmm. We can therefore focus on, um, we have to look at your, you know, sympathetic parasympathetic balance. We have mm-hmm. to look at your, um, you know, your, your ability to digest your food. We have to look at whether you're eating pro-inflammatory foods. We have to look at if you're, if you're eating foods that cause a chronically leaky gut. So you're going to react yep. to everything. Um, you know, and and I guess that's the thing. You know, one of the, I'll say, things for me is, I, a number of years ago, I probably did get right into the food intolerance testing because I sort of thought, let's do this off the bat. Then you can see straight away. And I, after doing that a number of times with patients, sure, you, you got some decent information, no doubt about that, for most of them. But it kind of showed in the end that the food mm. intolerance wasn't the issue. The food intolerance mm. was merely another symptom and the mm. tests allowed us to modify that symptom and decrease inflammation and eventually treat the other things. So I, I guess mm. that's sort of where where it leaves me. So, you know, yeah. Yeah. similar si- it's situations a bit of a downstream. for you? Yeah, mm. it can be a bit of a downstream, you know, it's symptom of the larger problem. And this is the line we walk, walk as practice, right? Like you've got to do a bit of the symptom because it's so important. Mm. That patient mm. is has enough of... Um, they're feeling unwell enough that they've come to see you. So we've got to get them feeling at least a bit better. But this is what we do. We heal the underlying cause. We educate our patients. We stitch it all together. We we Mm -hmm. stitch the body back together and show how it's interrelated when other modalities Mm -hmm. will try and separate it out. It's like, you know, we've got to just, and this is really one of those places where we've got to be managing patients' expectations, I think, and being like, this Mm -hmm. is, Short term, we can do all this stuff to help you get better, whether it's removing mm-hmm. foods or doing a bit of a gut cleanse or digestive enzymes or SIBO mm-hmm. treatment. And then long term, mm-hmm. we have all of these wonderful things that we can do to mm-hmm. get you feeling better um, mm-hmm. in a wider sense of the word. So, yeah. yeah, it's actually a pretty big topic when you start to spin it out, isn't it? Well, well when, when you start to look at it, yeah, it, it's a huge topic. It's absolutely a huge mm-hmm. topic. But, you know, I'm, I'm really glad we got to have this chat today. Uh, I think we sort of really did highlight that, you know, and, and depending on the practitioners listening out there, some people might have uh, may, may be in their final year of study at the moment. Some may have graduated mm-hmm. a year ago. Some may have graduated 40 years ago. Um, mm-hmm. But that, you know, I think it's important just for everyone to remember that sometimes a test can have value, but it's always got to be put into a context. And I think as practitioners, we have to always know that, as I said, you know, you might not get a positive result on a test, but a negative result also gives you information. And that's what we sort of said today. People may have negative results, certain foods that they thought they were reacting to. Maybe they are just so inflamed for whatever specific reason, which as you said, as prackies, we have to look into and we have to communicate this to them. Mm. But, um, you know, Mm. I I think for for me, from our chat today, Claire, it seems that food intolerance testing has its place, has a role, 
but I, I don't think it's the sort of thing practitioners should be doing. First thing you walk in the door, let's look at what foods you're reacting to. Mm. Because yeah. as you said, it, it, you might not react to them in six months if we do A, B, C, D. Yeah, which is the goal, right? Yeah, so I think mm. let's really make sure that it's the it's the test that we need to be doing for patients, mm. um, you know, going through our different differential diagnosis of all the mm. other things that could be and all the other things that we could be testing for, like make sure that we're picking the right test because this is going to be big life-altering information for a patient. Mm. Make sure we're then providing the right amount of dietary and lifestyle counselling around it, that this should be a short-term mm. thing, this is not permanent removal from your diet. Mm. You know, if we need to be meeting um, nutrient demands with other foods, this is how we're doing it. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And that um, educating our patients, just as you said, around that importance of microbiome, gut and nervous system health mm. in this conversation and that a food intolerance does not exist in isolation. Like really yeah. connecting those dots for a patient um, I think it's really important because – yeah, once they start to understand that, they can see it's actually like a pretty complex dance mm. between lots of body systems and that, you know, mm. if they go and work on their stress over here, their food will get better over mm. there, which is pretty amazing mm. um, and I think will be pretty life-altering for a lot of patients. Yeah, and, and I, I guess that allows them to realise they still can be empowered but just not empowered in that way of going, I just, I'll, I'll only have gluten-free uh, food on the menu. Yeah. You know, the, we are yeah. empowering them. I'll just take those in, foods in out and I'll be fine. Yes, yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's be honest. If only life was that simple. I know. <laughs> a part of you craves <laughs> it, doesn't it? Life would be great it if it was that simple. <laughs> don't, don't, don't we yeah. all want a simple life? <laughs> yeah, so. exactly. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Claire, that is all we have time for. But, hey, thank you so yes. much. It's always great. Yes. I look forward to our chats. Um, Me too. You know, and I always learn something. So as I said, 30th year of practice, but I am learning still every day. And, uh, yeah, my yeah, chats with you, great to have you always wisdom. help me with learning. Great to have you. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Paul. <laughs> mm. Look, and uh, thank you, everyone, who's tuned in for this podcast. Um, keep an yes. ear out, and we will be recording another one in the next week or two. So tune in again when you see the next new Biopractical podcast. Thanks, and uh, yeah. I'll catch up with you soon, Claire. Yes, you too, Paul. Bye, everyone. To continue the conversation or find out more about our products and educational resources, please head to biopractica.com.au. Biopractica, empowering healthcare professionals.